What's good, everybody? I'm here with another edition of BK Talks. I'm releasing this episode maybe a few days after I initially intended. And uh, by the time you hear this, uh, most of this stuff will kind of be like old news, especially in light of the, the major developments with the... Well, not even developments, the major uh, news of the WWE and Vince McMahon, that situation, and uh, the rumor... Uh, uh, regarding Sasha Banks and I got to highlight the word rumor uh, so I won't be talking about any of that stuff in this particular episode um, despite this being released like a few days after those news items dropped in this episode I'm going to be covering the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view the matches all of the controversy around Cody Rhodes and his decision to work injured it seems like old news by now uh, plus, with the AEW stuff, I talked a little bit about uh, CM Punk's injury, the, the uh, process for AEW uh, crowning his, well, crowning the interim champion. Uh, talked a little bit about the All Atlantic Championship, and then I was able to squeeze in the uh, near the tail end, well, at the tail end, talk about Jeff Hardy and uh, his recent situation. A whole lot of stuff went down in wrestling over the past couple of weeks uh so by the time you hear this the content will likely be dated by like a week or at least a few days with the jeff hardy stuff so that said i'll bring you into the episode all right i'm going to start off by just talking a little bit about hell in a cell the pay-per-view 2022 i was able to uh watch the pay-per-view um on one of my off days I didn't watch it live, obviously, because uh, as I've mentioned many times, I am uh, I'm working <laughs> during the pro- the primetime hours. So anything uh, that happens during those particular times, I'm not going to be able to see it live. Uh, but I did. I am a Peacock subscriber, so uh, the premium live events or pay-per-views, whatever name you want to use, uh, usually uh, catch those on one of my off days after they air initially uh, I want to say that overall I thought the show was pretty entertaining um, I know that there's a lot of there was a lot of chatter online about people not feeling hyped up for it or there was no buzz around it similar to how people felt about Wrestlemania this year uh, but much like the Wrestlemania event although it's not to the same degree I think uh the low expectations uh, people who had low expectations at least got a show that was uh, entertaining now Wrestlemania itself was was really fun in my opinion across the two nights Uh, I'm not comparing uh, Hell in a Cell to that in terms of the level of excitement or fun during the show but I think the show was perfectly fine and did uh, everything that it needed to do to uh work with the storylines that were leading into the event uh my favorite match of the night was the opener uh, you had three highly talented women competitors uh wrestling for the raw version of the women's championship with bianca Belair, oscar becky lynch uh the women all had an opportunity to really uh show what they can do um and i'm biased here uh Bianca Belair is pretty easily my favorite uh, women's wrestler uh, in the WWE. 
and I would say overall as well. She was able to demonstrate all the athletic traits that make her like a one in a lifetime type prospect for me. Um, I've heard uh, my guy DJ from Mindless Wrestling compare her favorably to like a Kurt Angle where, where it was a person who had like no real prior interest or prior uh, experience in pro wrestling but came into the thing with the natural gifts and then just turned into someone great. Uh, I mean, I, could, I can see the comparisons. I mean, they don't really wrestle the same style, obviously, because they came from different types of athletic backgrounds. But both were able to take to, to this thing like, like a fish to water, despite not being the, the type of people who were like bred in the industry or grew up loving the industry. Uh, so I'm happy to see Bianca uh, thriving in the WWE. Oscar, uh, a world-class talent. Her reputation preceded her before even coming to the WWE. And, during, and in her time in the WWE, uh, she's had a standout career. Uh, the injury setback uh, had her off TV for a little while. But uh, she demonstrated like this awesome flurry. Of maneuvers at one point that everyone was talking about during this match and Becky Lynch is kind of like old reliable she, she does her thing the character aspects of her role she's nailed it in my opinion and the, that the three components in this match gave it their all um, and with the finish you know you you have like another layer in the overall story between Becky Lynch and Bianca while at the same time uh, you know spoiler uh, they continued the Oscar Becky stuff uh, the following night on Raw. Um, I didn't really, I didn't watch Raw in completion, but I did see select parts of it, and I know the results uh, of the show. But uh, all in all, that was my first match, my favorite matchup. The first matchup was my favorite matchup on the show. Uh, then you move on to the story between Amos, MVP, and Lashley, which is essentially. MVP versus Lashley with Amos uh, and I would say Lashley is my favorite male wrestler in the WWE and you could make the argument across all of pro wrestling as well um, his whole presentation especially now kind of reminds me of my earliest wrestling fandom back in the 80s I think if you could have transported this version of Bobby Lashley back into like 87, 88, uh, around that window of time when, when I first started watching, uh, then he would easily be a guy that I rooted for. I mean, everything about this guy screams big time. And the only question is what they do with Bobby Lashley. Like they can have him try to make a run at, at Roman, uh, but with Roman, you got something historic. And even though Lashley would legitimately look like the type of dude that would be able to knock off the Tribal Chief, I think they still got a lot more uh, run in the Roman Reigns before they have him drop it. So uh, I don't really foresee Lashley doing it, uh, especially not this soon. So it makes me wonder uh, what other directions they can go with Bobby Lashley that will keep him uh, featured prominently and keep him as a hot act. Um, now, as far as Amos and MVP, I'm, I'm not in the Amos hate train. I, I think like with Giants, that's another 
aspect of my early fandom that I kind of retain to this day. Uh, I'm still kind of a sucker for giants, for large human beings, for mammoths, for uh, goliaths, for the huge guys. Because you can't, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, you can't really teach it. Uh, so I, I do enjoy seeing those types of characters on screen, but you do have to find a way to keep them compelling. And generally speaking, for those types of characters, they're mainly compelling early on when they first show up and they are very dominant. But once you start to chip away at their mystique and have them take losses, it's very, very hard. Very few of the wrestlers that portray those giants have other talents and character elements that make you uh, continually interested in them for, for years and years. I mean, it can happen obviously is evidenced by guys like the undertaker even though I mean, he's a giant in some respects but he's not like the the extraordinarily huge type guy uh, those guys are kind of hard to to really wrangle in for the long haul uh, but i, I want to see what they're going to do with him because i think uh, he moves around the ring pretty well considering his size but you got to find some something else to unlock in him uh see if I can move on to uh, some of the other matches on this card. I have a, a vendetta against Kevin Owens, <laughs> the president of my personal uh, Punchable Faces Club, along with a guy like Sammy Callahan and The Miz. Uh, MJF would qualify as well. But Kevin Owens uh, is a guy that, I don't know, I just can't shake how vile his character was uh, during like portions of his tenure in Ring of Honor. Uh, can't really shake it. So from that point on, it's been incredibly difficult for me to root for this guy, even when he's portrayed as a good guy. Uh, that said, he's great at what he does. And uh, the storyline with Ezekiel might not be my bag, but the fact that they're really committed to the whole idea that Ezekiel and Elias are two entirely different people, uh, and they're portraying it pretty well from what I can gather uh, it's it's impressive to me, even though the storyline itself might make a lot of people cringe and shake their head and want, quote unquote, better for Kevin Owens. But Kevin Owens is living his best life. He feels like one of those made men type guys that don't really need to be featured at the top of the card to feel like they're doing something uh, important or stand out. And you know that at any moment's notice, you could vault him into those types of situations. So, I, I mean, I, I joke about him being in a punchable faces club, and I am legitimately uh, a guy who cannot really root for him uh, because of the Ring of Honor stuff. Uh, so I guess I'm buying in to the character heavy, or his previous character heavy. Uh, but I got to give this man his props. He's, he's I mean, he's, he signed that contract uh, to extend his time with the WWE and uh, I think every time he shows up on screen it validates uh, why the WWE wanted him back um, now we can move on to the whole uh, Judgment Day matchup versus uh, AJ Styles, Finn Balor and uh, Liv Morgan uh, not really invested in Liv Morgan that, like that but I know earlier in the year uh, I was pretty impressed by the story, by her story with uh, Becky Lynch. Like she showed a lot of fire, a lot of spunk. I don't really see her ever winning the women's championship, and that's not a knock against her. 
I think she will have a role within that division. Um, so I give her props for that. Uh, now, the guys that I like a lot, like Finn and AJ, and then the fellas, all of Judgment Day, uh, I can't say anything bad about them at all. Um, the, the, most, the most interesting thing about this saga uh, was the fact that immediate, the night after, uh, on Raw, Edge got booted out of Judgment Day. I mean, some people conjure memories of Farouk being booted out of the nation. Uh, you know, people getting kicked out of their own gang. And uh, I think it might work out for the better. I mean, I, I was kind of, I was buying into the whole Edge thing as the leader of the Judgment Day. But I can, I think I can buy into a storyline uh, that shows that Rhea Ripley and Damian Priest feel like he's dead weight and feel like Finn Balor is a better fit for them and I think with Finn Balor I mean if the rumors are true about them wanting to have like some kind of a supernatural element you know the demon character is always on the horizon uh, if that if that's true if those rumors are true I, I think even without the demon character uh, character Finn Balor this might be his opportunity to ride this group back into another main event level spot in time uh, and show more of what he does uh, as a heel. You know, sometimes you're the good guy. It can get a little stale at times, and you need to freshen it up with a, with a nice change. So I could see that going. It would be interesting to see how AJ Styles plays, if he's, if he's going to be involved in any of this going forward. Uh, now, another match. Another guy who gets a lot of heat online, uh, but another guy that I really don't, have anything bad to say about and that's Baron Corbin um, Baron Corbin fills his role he, he as, a, as the young folks say understands the assignment <laughs> uh, he, he knows what he's doing in terms of uh, being a heel and getting you to root against him and in, in turn rooting for the guy that he's opposite uh, with a guy like Madcap Moss Riddick Moss this might be his opportunity to try to break through or uh, maybe the WWE cuts bait. And maybe I'm being a little bit too uh, uh, drastic with that thought, but uh, this might be it. Uh, I wonder if his presentation will change because the guy in the black uh, tights, black boots, black hand wraps with kind of generic theme music, uh, if you don't put a nice character behind that, I could easily see him fading into like the background, but I'm very hopeful that he's able to, to unlock something because he has a crazy physique. Like that brother has a crazy muscle mass, very defined and, and a very, very strong. So I'm hoping they find something for him to do. And uh, the true test will be what happens after Baron Corbin. Like, will he be able to get people to invest in what he's doing as opposed to just being invested in his battle with Baron Corbin due to the story and the breakup between the pair. Not a big Austin Theory guy, uh, and that moves us on to the to the next match. But I'm not a big Austin Theory guy, uh, so I, I don't really care all that much about him. He's very athletic. I give him props for that. Uh, A1 athlete, very good physique. But for some reason, I just can't get into the whole selfie thing. I mean, but you know that the WWE is high on him because Vince McMahon is 
a part of his uh, presentation and his story. So you know that they want to turn him into something. I'm not that surprised that uh, Ali didn't beat him in his hometown. Uh, I rock with the Ali ring gear, very Chicago-centric since he's a Chicago guy. And uh, I can respect him trying to sh put on for his hometown. Uh, but I wonder what's going to happen with him coming going forward as well, especially considering the very public uh, desire to be released earlier this year. Um, so we'll see how this thing goes. Uh, I think online Cedric Alexander tweeted that he wanted to fight or wrestle uh, Ali. I guess it'd be like a callback to the 205 Live uh, shows and the, the division, the cruiserweight division. Um, speaking of Cedric, I forgot to mention him earlier. He have a role. He had a role in that earlier match with Amos and MVP. He's a man without like a plan right now. Uh, and honestly, if you put him and Ali together in some kind of storyline, I don't think there's going to be that much investment because there's nothing really on the line for him, and there's nothing that really makes, I guess, the masses invested in them. Uh, but you know, I'm hoping he and Ali are both able to find something uh, that works for them. Uh, it appears that Theory and uh, John Cena have been going back and forth online or something to that effect. Uh, and John Cena might be coming back. I think that's the rumor. So I could see some kind of interaction maybe culminating with a match at SummerSlam. Uh, if you do look at Austin Theory's physique and general build, it kind of does look like the prototype John Cena early uh, what 2002 version of John Cena uh, that'll be but but uh, a guy like John Cena was able to unlock a character that made people uh, get invested so that's the one thing theory is missing and that brings us to the main event of Hell in a Cell which was the Hell in a Cell matchup between Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes uh, there was a lot of speculation about whether or not the match would even go down because there were reports of Cody Rhodes sustaining a pectoral tear while training for the matchup. Uh, the matchup did happen, and that led to even more dialogue and controversy uh, from fans online about whether or not that was the right thing to do. So um, Cody Rhodes came to the ring. He did his usual, he did the uh, ring entrance stuff, pulled off the robe, and revealed what was uh, very visible uh, bruising on his uh, right chest area. Uh, right arm and right shoulder um, very significant in terms of like the the visuals that's the thing that got people very uh, I guess some people outraged because it was pretty jarring uh, to look at uh, he worked that match up it wasn't really, wasn't like a quick squash match or anything like that but he worked the match uh, even had some of uh Seth Rollins' attacks focused on the, in that area, that region. Uh, it made it even more uh, cringy for certain fans, kind of uneasy to look at. Um, and a lot of people started firing off a bunch of uh, very strong opinions regarding whether or not this was like an ethical thing to do or a safe thing to do, uh, while others were doing what I guess fans of sports have been conditioned to do and that's like praise Cody Rhodes for being able to persevere through 
such uh, uh, an injury. Um, because I can only speak for the U.S., but I'm assuming that it's across the board, like just in sports, when uh, people compete through injury, it's treated a certain way. Like there's a certain valor attached to doing that. And uh, it's all it all ties into this whole warrior, quote-unquote, uh, trait that a lot of pro athletes take pride in. And a lot of fans, sports media, people involved in sports discussion uh, tend to elevate as a positive. And I, mean, I can see the merit in it because it does take a lot. Like, you got to give someone credit for playing with injuries that would normally sideline someone because they're, they're, they're performing in a very physical uh, position where you know that the risk of uh, being hit in that area with, with that's injured is great. Uh, I'm a New York Giant fan, and I want to, hopefully I'm not mixing up the games, but I want to say Emmitt Smith wrecked us with a bad shoulder many moons ago. And uh, we've, we've seen uh, how many people uh, talk about the Willis Reed reentering the, the, the finals, NBA finals, hobbling. And we talk about Isaiah Thomas playing in the NBA finals uh, with his injuries and dominating. And we talk about the flu game. <laughs> we talk about all these different uh, situations. By- Byron Leftwich being carried down the field by his old lineman. I want to say that was back at, was that back in college when he was playing with Marshall, carrying him down the field uh, during a, a drive in the game, late in the game. Uh, we talk about the what the Kurt Schilling bloody sock. We talk about a bunch of these instances in which uh, professional athletes persevere through pain and uh, harsh injuries to perform and this will definitely go down as one of those types of moments in pro wrestling Um, now I want to start off by saying that a lot of regular workers like if you kind of grew up in that blue collar household that a similar ethic or mindset exists uh, because in a lot of jobs (laughs) you you don't really you don't really get if you don't work you don't eat depending on the kind of fields you work in. Uh, so you, you've probably seen your grandfather or your father uh, have back pain, but he's still going to work at the factory or the shipyard or the, the, the manufacturing plant or whatever. Like, uh, uh, And to a lesser degree, I'm not trying to put myself in this same boat. I had a like a partial left Achilles tear uh, maybe about a decade ago at this point uh, playing a pickup basketball game in Queens. I think I might have mentioned this in a previous iteration of BK Talks uh, back when I would do like sporadic episodes on Spreaker. Uh, But uh, had a friend who was out in Queens, who lived out in Queens. Uh, Her boyfriend was roughly around the same age as me, I want to say. Uh, he was a big basketball fan. I was a big basketball fan. Uh, but at that particular stage, I really hadn't been playing basketball as regular, as frequently because I'm like almost 40 now, probably maybe 30 or approaching 30 at that point. And uh, this ain't 
you, you're not you're not old at 30, but if you're not really playing basketball as frequently as you used to, um, like I did in my teenage years and even early 20s, you're a little rusty. So we were running, playing, running a full at that time too. Um, running down court in the fast break, and if I I still believe that somebody on the other team collided into me, uh, but I know that they say that with these Achilles tears, it feels like someone collided into you, but I, I definitely feel like someone collided into me. Uh, we were having a pretty good game, to be honest, too. Um, you know, I was doing the, the little things on court, uh, getting the rebounds, boxing out, playing solid defense. Uh, ran, ran out court on that fast break and disaster. Uh, and it sounded like that popping sound that people talk about. For me, I, I kind of liken it to like pulling a suction cup off of a wall, that kind of sound. That's what I heard. And I was in crazy pain, crawled off the court. But like an idiot, I didn't like seek immediate medical attention for it. Uh, I didn't even ice it immediately. Uh, if I remember correctly, I went, ended up going back to my front, stayed there for the end of the game. You know, I got subbed out. Somebody else was willing to take on the last uh, couple of possessions of the, of the game because it was like late. We were playing at like 21. And, uh, you know, I came out the game, somebody else got in there, and then we just left. But where the, where the park was and where my friend's house was, it was like a nice little maybe 10, 15 minute walk. So I'm hobbling on that damn one foot, one leg for that whole walk. And I didn't go home, I didn't go to the ER. I went to her house for a little while, chilled with them, and then made my way home. But where she lived in Queens is near like the A-line and one of the elevated train sections. So you're going up one set to get to the the clerk level, like where you buy your Metro cards or whatever. And then you got to go up another set of stairs after you swipe through the turnstile to get to the platform level. So I'm going through it. Uh, took, took that A-train ride to Hoyt Skimmelhorn. <laughs> Had to go up another set of steps to, to make the transfer to my train. And then had to go down another set of steps to get, on the, to, to, get to the platform level where I catch my train home. And then going up another set of steps. <laughs> to get back to street level so there's a whole lot of up and down on one on a what I would later find out was a partially torn Achilles and here's the crazy thing I didn't like I keep mentioning I did not seek immediate attention medical attention for it so and I was working a full-time job in which I was on my feet constantly and constantly moving like patrolling and walking around buildings and the perimeters of buildings. So that was pretty stupid. <laughs> uh, just putting the ace bandage on, putting your sock on, putting your boot on, and then hoping that none of the like the deputy director, none of the sergeants, nobody uh, saw you visibly injured because then they would definitely know something's up and then you probably couldn't work. And that goes back to that whole, if you don't work, you, you can't eat. Uh, we had insurance at the job. It was a, like a contract assignment. Uh, but at the same time, you're not really going to get paid out the same way that you would if you were, like, working your regular hours or even doing overtime. Um, this is New York City, a very expensive city to live. And 
at that time I wasn't married, but was my was my kid's mom pregnant at the time? I can't recall. Uh, but yeah, at either at any rate, I I really couldn't afford to be out of work. But the pain was kind of uh, consistent. It didn't go away, so it wasn't like a simple uh, like you twist your ankle or you, you feel those kind of injuries that kind of go away in a week now this didn't go away in a week and maybe about three months later I decided oh maybe I should get checked out and I ended up going to the primary care doctor they referred me to somebody else uh, to do the necessary testing to find out what was wrong partially torn left Achilles they did not recommend surgery for whatever reason and uh, I've been kind of just going to work you know with it ever since um yeah, I got a new job in since then, and uh, that job requires a lot of uh, on-your-feet type effort and pretty physical at times. Uh, but, you know, over time, the injury became less noticeable. Like, uh, I, I noticed my limitations with it because I know that I can't run and jump with the same level of athleticism that I had once before. Uh, and even something as simple as standing up on your toes, like if you're doing a calf raise, I can't do that with the left foot alone. Uh, I don't, I'm not able to really generate enough power to get fully, like full extension on that left foot, like at the, on your tippy toes on your left foot. And that's noticeable. But I can still kind of jog. I can still run, but not as fast. I can still jump rope. So it wasn't anything, so because it wasn't like a complete rupture of the Achilles tendon. Uh, so I understand like this idea, this uh, mindset around just taping it up or rubbing some <laughs> dirt in it and, and continuing, uh, even for like the blue collar type people. But um, as a fan of athletes, I don't really begrudge them uh, for choosing not to participate or compete with an injury because I, I don't know their bodies like Derrick Rose I'm a Bulls fan so Derrick Rose when he had his knee troubles I didn't really give him a hard time about being in a suit uh, sitting on the sideline constantly a lot of people did they felt like he was ready to come back and they, some fans were trying to rush him back but nah man for me you, you know your body better than anyone else. You come back when you feel like you can. And even if you physically might feel ready, maybe the mental aspect of the injury is uh, the last hurdle that you need to overcome. So I'm a guy who's, who's like, you don't got to do any of this stuff for my benefit because um, you're the one who has to live with the long-term effects of the years of wear, wear and tear on you. And then... An endeavor like pro wrestling, there are no retirement plans and 401ks and pensions, uh, especially for the guys who are working on the lower tiers of pro wrestling, like the indie. So you got to be smart. A lot of these indie guys do have regular jobs. They might do the wrestling thing on the weekend. Uh, you got to be smart. Um, but in the WWE, you know, you, these guys are heavily compensated, but at the same time, they got to be smart too. I mean, your career can be very fleeting. You're like one bad injury from it ending completely. And uh, so I'm, I'm never going to be the judgmental type, yay or nay, about the decision that the, the athlete 
decides to make. And that brings me to the wrestling media side of this discussion. I feel like, and this is something I've mentioned before, and I reiterated, I feel like in situations like this, uh, they really should reach out to medical professionals, doctors, nurses, people who specialize in like sports medicine or orthopedic uh, orthopedics, and get them to be on the record with them during interviews or uh, podcasts or whatever to discuss injuries. They can't really discuss the specifics of like a person that they haven't treated, obviously, because they're not their doctor. They can't tell you the very specific details about someone's particular injury, but they can break down what typically happens in situations like that. And that's why I like to, I've, I've been subscribed to two doctors who do a lot of sports related uh, videos. And that's the first one, uh, I believe he's a doctor. Uh, I think he's in residency or he's in fellowship uh, at some hospital down in Ohio. And that's uh, Dr. Brian Sutterer. He has a very good YouTube channel talking about sports injuries. He often does UFC and even pro wrestling related stuff. And he did a video on the Cody Rhodes pectoral tear. And the next one, one of my personal favorites is Dr. Chris Rayner. He's a uh, doctor, an orthopedic surgeon out of Canada. Uh, and uh, a little bias, he has Jamaican ancestry as well. <laughs> um, so I like looking at their channels. He, he does a lot of the same kinds of uh, material, same kind of content as Dr. Brian Sutterer. Uh, so he's an orthopedic surgery. So he's the guy who goes He's an orthopedic surgeon, so he's the kind of guy who goes in and fixes these types of injuries for uh, athletes and everyday uh, Joe Blows who happen to get these injuries. Um, those are two good channels to follow if you're interested in, like, the, the human body. And that's one of my side interests. Like, health and fitness and wellness, all that stuff is, like, one of the, the – that general – uh, content base is something that I'm interested in. So I, I subscribe to a lot of channels in that area. Um, but yeah, back to the media side, I think fans on the whole would benefit from uh, having the insight of medical professionals in instances like this so that when we do offer up our opinions, it's rooted in some kind of fact instead of just, uh, in, a, in some cases, bias <laughs> uh, or just raw emotions, we can have the kind, the kind of information behind it uh, to inform our opinions. Opinions. We still might have the same opinion, but at least we'll have the facts behind it. Uh, because in some cases, a doctor might say, well, they'll give you the green light to perform because there's no risk of further injury. There might be a risk of injury to other parts due to like compensating. Uh, compensating. Why did I enunciate it like that compensating uh, for an injury so you injure something else but in terms of injury to that particular area sometimes they'll at least as per dr sutter uh, sometimes there's no increased risk of injury further injury and thus you might be cleared to perform a certain task um, and uh, i think fans would benefit from hearing from those types of people in cases like this uh now as far as the hypocrisy angle or the bias angle or whatever um a lot of people have brought up the fact that when kenny omega disclosed the fact that he was wrestling for like three 
four years with a slew of shoulder ailments and uh, other injuries, including vertigo, uh, that the general sentiment around it wasn't really negative. Uh, they weren't there weren't people talking about how that set a bad president as precedent as uh, a lot of fans said about Cody and him were wrestling. They weren't really blaming WWE for I mean, fans were kind of blaming WWE for putting them out there, but fans weren't saying, well, uh, Kenny Omega should have disclosed these injuries to Tony Khan and Tony Khan should have known and all this other stuff. Uh, so that that does tread in this area of bias where fans have certain opinions uh, depending on what company is involved. And that that's kind of true because with the Kenny Omega situation, like he, a lot of people said, hey, he put on multiple five-star classics with all those injuries and they were kind of lauding him for his performance, which is ties back into the whole warrior thing. But if you were really outraged about the Cody injury, then you should probably have a similar level of outrage uh, regarding just wrestlers in general doing some of the crazy stunts that they do um, and the, the Kenny Omega situation because vertigo it's kind of a risky factor especially with jacked up shoulders and you're lifting people over your head there's not just an increased risk to you it's an increased res- risk to the person that you're performing uh, with that you're wrestling against uh, but people didn't really not a lot of people or not significant amounts of people or not influential uh, no influential people really seem to be playing that angle a lot, at least not to my knowledge. I might be wrong, but, you know, because I don't stay on the timeline as frequently. Uh, but to my knowledge, it didn't really turn into a trending discussion or uh, an ongoing discussion in that way. Only in certain circles and certain pockets you might see people mention it, like, hey, I appreciate what he did as a warrior and wanting to persevere. Uh, but it probably wasn't the best thing to do. You didn't really hear a lot of that. Um, but just to go back to the discussion about Cody, um, hoping that he is able to make a full recovery. As of this recording, I want to say that they put out a, a tweet, or Brandy put out a tweet saying that the surgery was successful. Uh, I'm not sure what the timeline for recovery is, and that's something that a uh, a surgeon or a doctor who works and specializes in that area would be a better source of information for. Um, but I'm wishing him the best. I'm wishing the best for, for Kenny Omega. That's why I'm kind of happy that he's not trying to rush back, even though a lot of fans do miss him. Like He was wrestling with a lot of injuries for a long time, burning the candle at both ends, at both ends working for multiple promotions. That That's not an easy thing to do. And I give that man praise for being able to do it while also saying that uh, if he hid those injuries from Tony Khan, he's, he's got he's to know better and not do that. Um, it's, it's like, it's like uh, the football team where the player wants to go out there, but sometimes you got to hide his helmet, uh, especially with the head injuries. Uh, same thing with, with uh, wrestling. Companies have really have to encourage uh, their athletes or maybe even force their athletes to uh, be more forthcoming with any ailments and injuries uh, and maybe even regularly require uh, you know just checkups and maintenance uh, because we aren't machines and I'm not putting myself in the category of wrestling I'm just saying human beings are not machines and they can wear out so um, I encourage everyone who 
might listen to this, uh, all all five people <laughs> who might listen, uh, to take care of yourselves mentally and physically. Uh, do what you can uh, to try to stay on top of your health because I'm approaching 40 and it's I know that there are people older than me <laughs> uh, who are doing just fine and they don't have the same kind of uh, constant thought about it. But I, I do. I think about this a lot. Uh, I want to be around, uh, which is why I'm recording this one actually at the park. About to start another little workout. Trying to be more consistent with it. That's a big struggle at times. Uh, but everyone should and oddly enough, you got the sound of a FDNY ambulance passing down the block. Uh, but I'm trying to stay on top of the health, uh, be more reasonable about what I eat and put into my body. Because you do want to be around for a while and uh, you don't want to have to labor through uh, like your your uh, golden years. So uh, I don't know how I got from Cody and his injury to this uh, but that was the transition so I'll close out this segment uh, the next few topics going to be related to AEW and some of the things that are going on there alright I'm going to switch gears and talk a little AEW beginning with the injury to AEW world champion CM Punk uh, briefly touched on uh, that situation in a previous episode uh, but just to reiterate, uh, CM Punk is injured. Uh, we don't really know the specific details about the injury. Uh, we don't know the severity of the injury nor the timetable for his return. So the best I can do is hope for a uh, speedy recovery for CM Punk. Uh, wrestlers in general do a lot uh, to try to entertain the crowd. And I'm not really a guy who like seeing people get hurt so uh, wishing CM Punk a very speedy recovery so AEW began its Eliminator Series to crown its interim champion with the opening match on Dynamite which was the Casino Battle Royale uh, now I like the Casino Battle Royale as a match concept uh, but I do have to reiterate that in this specific instance I, I would have as I mentioned before I would have preferred that they utilize some kind of mini tournament or some kind of matchup that solely included uh, competitors that were in the top five rankings. I feel like uh, if you're going to use the ranking system and tout its importance, then in a situation like this, you should probably just draw from that pool of wrestlers in order to crown your next champ or your interim champ. Uh, they didn't opt to do that. They opted for the Casino Battle Royale format. So let me just briefly try to explain what the Casino Battle Royale is. Uh, in my mind, the Casino Battle Royale, going to background noise again, uh, the Casino Battle Royale is the AEW answer to the Royal Rumble. Uh, in the singles version of the Casino Battle Royale, there are 21 competitors, so it's like a play on the 21 blackjack card game. Uh, the competitors are divided into suits, because you know that there are four different suits. There are diamonds, there are hearts. You got clubs and you got spades. So for each suit, there are five competitors. So that t comes out to 20 competitors on the suits. And then you have the one joker, the wild card, that, that brings us the 21st competitor. Uh, and the card suits are 
drawn, I think, at three-minute intervals, something to that effect. So uh, at each interval, you're going to have the five wrestlers associated with a given suit announced, and they come out and join the fray. And then from there, you know, it's over-the-top rope rules, like the Royal Rumble. Some people don't like the, the match concept. I think it's cool. Uh, I mean, most companies, most indie companies do some variation of the Royal Rumble match. Uh, I know MLW has one coming up, which is the Battle Riot. And um, Reality of Wrestling used it. The Ring of Honor has used it. Like, everyone has used some kind of variation of the Royal Rumble. AEW has this. So uh, I'm cool with it. Now, the big criticism comes into play when you start talking about the people that were in the match. All right, so when you look at the bulk of the criticism about the Casino Battle Royale online, you realize it centers on the lack of AEW's big names uh, associated with this uh, Battle Royale. Now, if you put yourself in the kayfabe world of AEW, you'd think that every member of the roster would want a piece of this Casino Battle Royale because it's one step in eventually becoming the AEW World Champion. Uh, Yeah, it's for ultimately the the right to become the interim champion, but if you become interim champion, you have the opportunity to possibly unify the titles with CM Punk uh, once he returns from his injury. Uh, So when you do see names like Hangman Page not uh, associated with this matchup, or you see Adam Cole not in the matchup, you see Brian Danielson, Miro, um, Wardlow, who is one of the hottest acts in the company at this particular time. He's not in the field. Um, There's some others. Pack, he wasn't in the field. Quite a few names that weren't associated, that weren't in this matchup. And it almost takes a little bit off of the Casino Battle Royale. Uh, Even though... New York City sounds. (laughs) Even though I still found the Casino Battle Royale match pretty enjoyable, uh, the lack of the star power does stick out. Um, And Moxley getting a bye definitely sticks out too. Uh, because that opens up another another uh, question, another criticism uh, of the whole process. So if we go back to uh, June 1st, 2022, the ranking system uh, showed that Wardlow was somehow the number one ranked contender. Uh, and a lot of people were kind of shocked because, I mean, Wardlow technically wasn't a member of the roster by their storyline. And Unless the win over MJF instantly validated every match that he had before, uh, there was no real reason to have him number one overall. Um, And then he won. Moxley, I think, was ranked number four in the whole thing that same day. And they both won their matches on Dynamite. And then, miraculously, Moxley's number one (laughs) after that. And Tony Khan had a lot of questions online about it, and he came up with some kind of explanation in his eyes about the strength of schedule, the quality of opponents, or something like that. And noted that before Moxley started wrestling a bunch of tag team matches, he was, like, 
winning a bunch of singles matches. And to me, the whole explanation was kind of, I don't know, like it felt like a reach, to be honest, because they know that a guy like Moxley works better uh, if you're trying to send him to Forbidden Door. Because that's, that's ultimately what's going to happen with the AEW half of the Eliminator series. You need a guy like Moxley who has ties to New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, on that card. And you, if you're not going to have CM Punk in the spot, you, you, you want Moxley in that spot. Um, but let's go back to the Casino Battle Royale. Uh, and the field. So you had a bunch of tag teams, you had a bunch of like mid-card and underneath talents in it. Uh, you have the glaring omissions of the some of the top stars. Uh, some of them, I believe, might have been injured. Like Adam Cole, I think he's said to be injured, and Brian Danielson is said to be injured. Uh, but then they tried to uh, answer for why Wardlow wasn't in it, because that was a big question. Why wasn't Wardlow going to be in it? And they had like an interview segment later on in Dynamite in which he tried to explain why. And that's another thing that kind of fell apart under scrutiny from fans. Uh, with Wardlow essentially saying, without saying it directly, that the interim champ ain't, real, ain't the real champ. Because he says he recognizes CM Punk as the real champ and he wants to be able to pin or submit him to become the champ. Uh, the problem with that logic line is that the interim champ should have the first opportunity should they hold on to the belt uh, to unify it with CM Punk so it's like you still if you become the interim champ and CM Punk is healed while you're the interim champ you're going to face CM Punk and you'll have the opportunity to beat him um, and unify the championship so that kind of logic coming from uh, a wrestler who doesn't really have any accomplishments, kayfabe, uh, on the roster, didn't really make a lot of sense. It kind of reeked of the baby face, the stupid baby face, or the dumb baby face uh, trope that a lot of people have mentioned. Uh, my One of my favorite wrestlers, Sting, guilty of that dumb baby face trope over the years. <laughs> but not only did Wardlow not want to be part of the Battle Royal for that reason that he mentioned, uh, he also wanted to get the TNT title. So he didn't want to become the interim champion, uh, but he did want to challenge for the TNT title. Now, on its surface, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because there is a story there with the current TNT champion, Scorpio Sky and Wardlow. If you go back to the Face of the Revolution ladder match, then you will remember that Wardlow won that ladder match, getting him a TNT championship opportunity <laughs> or shot. Um, and he got screwed out of that shot against Scorpio Sky. So, yeah, there is a story there. Uh, but, however, I don't know that you should have... This, this ain't the situation to turn down the world championship to pursue a title that isn't the world championship. It uh, doesn't really make sense. It makes your your baby face look kind of stupid or like he makes poor decisions. Instead, here's how I think they could have done it. You could have easily had uh, Wardlow enter the Casino Battle Royale. He has the ongoing beef with Mark Sterling and the security officers. So, I mean, you could... 
you could just have Wardlow not win the Battle Royal. Uh, the same way Wardlow was messing those guys up for weeks and weeks, you could have those guys run down. I mean, you could even have him stay late into the match, have him like one of the last two guys in the match if you wanted to do that. Uh, have all those guys run down the ring and like one by one, he starts beating them up, throwing them out of the ring, and then the official competitor that was in the ring with him uses that as the opportunity to get the drop on Wardlow tips him out of the ring Wardlow doesn't lose anything from it because once again he got screwed he didn't get like straight up punked or beaten he was distracted by all those security guys interfering and that's an easy out Wardlow would have wisely took this opportunity as a newly minted all elite wrestler uh, to become like, like to stake his claim at trying to become world champ he would have been screwed out of that opportunity, and then he could have still run this same storyline that they're trying to run uh, with Wardlow having to go uh, run the gauntlet against the 20 uh, security guys, a.k.a. Uh, enhancement talent. Uh, and then after he gets through that, you can have him target Scorpio Sky. It does, so you, you accomplish all the stuff that you already want to accomplish with Wardlow needing to get revenge on those 20 security officers and uh, Mark Sterling. And also, you can have him pursue Scorpio Sky without having him do that interview that makes him look like he doesn't know how to make wise decisions. And I, th I think that was a simple fix. Now, with the Hangman thing, he had the matchup against Dave Finley, uh, and that is the reason why a lot of people said, well, he can't be in the Battle Royal. My easy fix for that was not have the match with Dave Finley and have him in a battle royal. Uh, but then if you the easy thing you could could have done, I guess, to explain why he wasn't in it is to say that he had he was a champion and we don't do the rematch clause thing here and he's not eligible for the casino battle royal or he automatically drops out of contention because he's the most recent uh, champion at lost. Like you could have explained it away like that. Um, instead, they had him basically say that he wants to pursue the uh, IWGP championship which is the top title in New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, and he specifically pointed out Okada, a legendary wrestler in Japan and a funny thing happened on the way <laughs> uh, to Forbidden Door uh, as I'm recording this uh, the result of Domin the results from Dominion are known uh, so that fills in a couple of gaps uh, with Forbidden Door, uh, the championship match between Okada and Jay White was decided, and Jay White is the new IWGP champion, and he he essentially talked crap about Hangman Page, <laughs> uh, and it looks like they might have to do a little, I don't even know if it's a pivot, because, I mean, we assumed what we wanted to assume by that promo from Hangman, so... Uh, and I think even Adam Cole said something to the effect that uh, of well, you're calling out Okada, but he might not even be the champion. Something to that effect. I can't remember the promo uh, right now. But so it'll be interesting to see what they do because Jay White very directly mentioned Hangman. So you could easily have Hangman go up at Jay White. And uh, from what I understand, the two of them have a history with one another. Uh, in New Japan. So easy tie in right there. Um, 
but it just it just feels like calling back to the uh, earlier point that a guy like Hangman should have been at least in that casino battle royale um, but he wasn't <laughs> and he's going to be going to Forbidden Door um, you know, presumably to, to face Jay White now instead of Okada if, if uh, they develop that story a little more uh, but I think I mentioned Cole and Danielson were hurt uh, Miro Pack. Those guys are going to be in the. Uh, they're going to be in the uh, All Atlantic Championship Tournament. I'll give my thoughts on that in a moment, but uh, that's the reason why those guys can't be in, or couldn't be in the Casino Battle Royale. Uh, but before I even talk about that, let's talk about what actually happened at the Casino Battle Royale. I know I kind of went way around the block with this one. Uh, if you're listening, please. Please uh, uh, bear with me on that. I appreciate it. Uh, now, in the match itself, Kyle O'Reilly won. Uh, he had some pretty good showcases for uh, Willie Yuta. Uh, so I think that's a positive. Because if, if, if you don't like Willie Yuta, you won't think it's a positive. But if you like Willie Yuta uh, and you like what AEW is trying to do in terms of positioning him as someone important, then this is a good, a good thing. Um, it shows that they're backing their horse. They gave him the peer championship. They had him uh, battle against the uh, Moxley and the uh, Blackpool Combat Club and join them. So all the things that they're doing with Wheeler Yuta indicate that they view him as someone important and having him make a nice showing in this uh, Casino Battle Royale, a positive from that standpoint. Another thing that was kind of cool but has like a little caveat attached to it was the what seems to be the start of a Keith Lee versus Swerve storyline now it's cool because I think as a tag team they really didn't have any real long term future or anything like that because uh, they were partners of convenience they didn't win the tag team championship in that triple threat match at the, the pay per view so they didn't really have nothing going for them they did get some merch which is kind of weird to see him break up this soon after getting merch the t-shirt um but all in all i think swerve is going to be good heel he has all the mannerisms and style uh, that will make people not root for him and keith lee is a guy that i don't think fans will root against so so in that regard i think it worked out kyle o'reilly kyle o'reilly kyle o'reilly got a good showcase after getting some big hope high-profile matchups and some wins recently. Uh, he went straight to the uh, Eliminator, AEW Eliminator final, uh, half of the final, um, half of the Eliminator series. I'll get it right eventually. And uh, it shows that they are pretty high on Kyle O'Reilly. And uh, all in all, I think the Casino Battle Royale was at least an interesting sight to see on TV. It's not something that you typically would see on the TV. It's like having a Royal Rumble on TV. So from that standpoint, no real gripes there. Now, the the gripe about the Keith Lee thing, if I could bring it back to that real briefly. Uh, both of these guys are like big free agent signings, and now they're kind of feuding against each other in an undercard feud. So it doesn't really feel like those guys... Uh, are going to be featured in any real big-time way uh, 
uh, for now. So from there, I guess you can see uh, where it might be a little mixed bag. So Kyle O'Reilly lost to Moxley, the worst kept secret, I guess. Uh, but it was a solid match in my book, so I can't really complain about that either. But now let's talk about the new championship in AEW. Another thing that happened on the June 8th edition of AEW Dynamite was the announcement of the All-Atlantic Championship, uh, AEW's newest men's singles title. And like many things in pro wrestling, this was also met with a mixed uh, response from fans. Now I'm going to give you my, my personal opinion on it all. Uh, I share in some of the criticisms, uh, but over time, I was able to sleep on it for a few days. I, I understand what the intention of the belt is, and it's not anything egregious. Uh, so let me just talk about some of the criticism. Number one criticism I think people have in general is the fact that they don't feel like AEW needs any more titles, let alone any more singles championships. Um, they already have the Ring of Honor title lineage, lineage uh, under their umbrella. Uh, they have their established titles as well, obviously. And so a lot of people feel like they should just work with what they have and try to make those titles feel as important as they can. The, the next criticism was that, okay, yeah, we want a new title, but why not the trios title? Since the trios belt is something that many fans have been calling for uh, since the beginning, and if not since the beginning, maybe since year two of, of AEW, and truthfully, the, the trios title is a belt that I'd like to see uh, because unlike other wrestling companies, they do really, well, outside of other wrestling companies in the United States, uh, unlike wrestling companies in the United States. Now I got it. I nailed it. Um, they do utilize a wide variety of factions. And they do have many of their wrestlers associated with stables. Something akin, akin to how New Japan uh, runs with multiple stables. And I know that when I was watching Lucha Libre Heavy, you had wrestlers that were part of groups. And for coming like AEW, the trios title would 100% work. Um, they have that the group identity aspect of it. Uh, but it won't be, they, they won't unveil these titles apparently until Kenny Omega is back as per uh, what I've seen online. I believe Sean Ross Sapp might have asked Tony Khan this question before and that was the response that he got. Uh, I personally don't think that they, that they have to absolutely wait until Kenny Omega comes back because while the elite are obviously the highest profile three-man group that they could form and those guys are the foundational pieces of the company I, I feel like you can you could have a tournament or crown a champion without them being involved uh just yet i mean at this point they could always join the fray later but if they have a plan for it i'm willing to sit it out wait it out and uh, see how it plays out now back to this title, back to the All-Atlantic Championship. Another criticism that I saw was 
but one that was kind of superficial, but at the same time, I understand it. Uh, the naming of the title, the belt name itself implies something. Uh, when you have an All-Atlantic Championship and then you have uh, a tournament in which the competitors are clearly representing their respective nations of origin, and you have Japan, Netherlands, and Australia, uh, Bulgaria featured in this tournament, then it kind of fails the geographic test, the geography test. Um, and <laughs> much like my, my, uh, my uh, criticism of college conferences when they uh, kind of have these geographic names, but then they start bringing in teams that don't fit the geographic map. Uh, I, I kind of understand that here too. Um, but I think the championship is intended to be like a traveling uh, international title uh, to represent the AEW brand abroad because they're probably not going to have their AEW world champ, their top champ, uh, making a whole lot of trips out of the country uh, when they're doing like weekly TV and pay-per-views and stuff like that. So you, you have a belt like this as a way to represent the company in DDT or represent the company in New Japan, represent the company in various uh, uh, non-US based wrestling promotions, all your partners international. Um, and with that said, I do feel like they should have just named it something else. I, of course, the intercontinental name would draw a lot of comparisons to the WWE since they have that title. But I, I want to say that New Japan also had an intercontinental championship at one time. Um, I think it might have been merged with the U.S. championship of New Japan. Um, but even if you don't want to use the intercontinental name, I think international championship would have worked uh saw someone else mention like the commonwealth belt but that would probably imply like a, a uk based title or something like of that nature but uh, i think that the naming of the belt they, they probably should have thought that out especially uh, when they designed it and put like the japanese flag on it and then you know japan is clearly an island nation in the pacific and uh, nowhere near the Atlantic. But all in all, I, I kind of understand what they're going for if my theory is correct. Because uh, an international champion, traveling championship would be a decent way for, uh, say, a Mexican wrestler in AEW to travel down to, I think they have the affiliation with AAA. Maybe they can defend it on AAA TV. Or if you have, I'm, I'm not sure what the Canadian wrestling scene is now, but say an Ethan Page, he's in the tournament. Say he wins it and he can represent it in his home country. Uh, or if you have a guy like Pac who can represent in the UK and travel throughout Europe. Or if any other New Japan talents, should they win it, they can represent it out in Asia. And then New Japan, of course. <laughs> um, but it, it, the belt itself could be like a nice addition to the title picture since it, it'll have like a unique function. Uh, I just don't think that it's something that they needed 
to have. Like, they didn't absolutely have to have this tournament at this time, uh, though it seems like they, they designed it to culminate at Forbidden Door and ha have that be another uh, matchup that is like a uh, featured part of the show. So from that standpoint, I see why they rushed it out there. I don't feel like they had to, um, but I'll, I'll just wait and see how that plays out as well. My my bias pick is Pac. So uh, with that said, let me just go on to the actual bracket breakdown. Um, so the, the title will be decided in a four-way dance at Forbidden Door on June 26th. And the competitors will be coming from like these qualifying matches. Uh, one of those matches w was held on June 8th, uh, the most recent edition of Dynamite. And that saw Pac defeat Buddy Murphy. Uh, Buddy Murphy or Buddy Matthews? I keep <laughs> Buddy Murphy in the WWE is Buddy Matthews. Buddy Matthews. <laughs> uh, he defeated, he was defeated by Pac. And Pac will be moving on to Forbidden Door. Uh, the next two matches come from AEW um, qualifying matches Miro and Ethan Page Miro representing Bulgaria Ethan Page representing Canada the winner of that punches his ticket to go to Forbidden Door uh, then you have Pentagon or Penta Oscuro Oscuro uh, of Mexico versus Malachi Black of the Netherlands I believe and the winner of course punches his ticket to Forbidden Door now, New Japan has its own little mini tournament to decide it's one uh, member of this four-way dance. And those two guys will be decided basically the week of the pay-per-view, a few days before the pay-per-view. You're going to have Clark Connors and uh, Honma uh, fighting in one qualifying match on the 20th. Uh, I'm familiar with Clark Connors. He's a New Japan strong guy. New Japan is like uh, a U.S.-based extension of... New Japan, and uh, I would say that they spent a lot of time out west because I've seen Clark Connors in the United Wrestling Network for Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. So um, those guys are coming out of the LA dojo, so West Coast-based uh, talents in many cases. Um, he's so that that matchup will decide one of the uh, that that would be one bracket on their side. And then the other matchup to decide the uh, next entrant will be Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, Ishii. And the winner of the two matches I just mentioned will face each other on the 21st. So the very next day, the winners face each other. And then the winner of that matchup. And I'm thinking it's going to be Ishii because he's been on WWE, uh, WWE AEW television. Uh, I think he'll be the guy who wins. And I'd like to see Clark Connors out of some bias because I kind of like him. Uh, it'd be a nice exposure for him on this card, but I don't see it happening. Um, I would like to see New Japan Strong featured. Maybe they do some kind of battle royal with the undercard guys of AEW and some of the New Japan Strong guys or some kind of a matchup between like interpromotional matchups using the new japan strong guys i think i mentioned that in the episode where i talked about the forbidden door but uh so i'll just leave it at that and uh that that will be the entrant that will be that will how yeah that will be how new japan decides its entrant into this four-way dance so all in all 
I'm interested in seeing who comes out. I'm biased towards Pac. I think I've mentioned it before. If I haven't, I'll mention it over and over again. Pac is one of my my guys in AEW. He's one of the people that I was most heavily invested in when AEW started. It's kind of disappointing in terms of seeing that he didn't really achieve solo fame, solo stardom in AEW. But he, he's a badass in the ring, and I, I like watching him wrestle. And this might be a chance to get some gold around my guy's waist. Of course, Miro, the Redeemer, strong character, heavily invested in his TV, his uh, TNT title run when he had it. Uh, he probably could use a little more gold um, around his waist. And Malachi Black, if he's able to get past Penta, you know, he's another of these free agents that had a lot of hoopla behind him when he signed he could probably use some gold and then the wild card is new japan new japan is a partner of the of AEW. maybe they you know kick it off with one of their guys holding on to the belt so it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out and that brings us to the end of this segment all right i'm recording this segment about a day removed from the jeff hardy news um Jeff Hardy was uh, arrested down in Florida. Uh, he had a blood alcohol level that was about three or four times the legal limit. And uh, it was just another in a long line of you know, bad situations that Jeff Hardy has gotten himself into. And it's very sad, especially if you're a guy like, like most of us, who were like big fans of Jeff Hardy. It's really sad to see. And Matt, I don't know what can be done at this point because he's gotten himself right and then fallen off the wagon. He's gotten himself right and then fallen off the wagon. Um, and addiction is a, a lifelong disease. Uh, it affects a lot of folks. And I'm sure that everyone knows someone who has been affected by it. I mean, the the substance itself might be might vary, but I think we all know someone who struggled with it. And I mean, from from the aspect of Jeff Hardy's career, uh, this might be the breaking point. This might be the the, the one last chance that he had to show that he was that he was right uh, before wrestling companies start to uh, feel like it's time to cut bait with him. As it stands now, I think Tony Khan has essentially suspended him without pay and he's not even eligible to return unless he's able to uh, complete some kind of treatment and show some sobriety but at this point Jeff Hardy's career is once again on pause we've seen it happen with him in the WWE we've seen it happen with him in TNA Impact and now we're seeing it with him in AEW and when the news broke obviously the the tribal warfare stuff started to break out um, because when Jeff Hardy hopped that railing and uh, displayed what was determined to be erratic behavior at that house show event down in, I think it was San Antonio, Texas. Uh, a lot of people were assuming that, hey, 
maybe this man might have relapsed and fallen off the wagon again. So much to where I think the WWE wanted to drug test him or did drug test him and then there was controversy about the results coming out uh, and then I guess they wanted him back but he wanted to just stay stay released or be released something to that effect a lot of big mess there a lot of fans even suspected that Jeff Hardy feigned a relapse in order to get cut from his contract uh, and I feel like if, if that was the case that that wasn't the right thing to do because you, you're almost playing with the emotions of of your your colleagues, people who love you. You know, over the years, I'm sure Jeff Hardy made quite a few close friends in the wrestling business, and you know that that kind of thing can be jarring for them. And the fans too. Fans are a bit secondary because they don't really know wrestlers closely. But I'm sure a lot of fans have developed a strong affinity for Jeff Hardy and did feel a level of concern when they first saw that story break out. Um, so if, if that was a case of faking a relapse, then I, I, I don't know if I'd go along with that. But if it was legitimately some kind of a misunderstanding and uh, that eventually led to his uh, release and then, he, and then he shows up in AEW, you just hope... You were just hoping that he'd have the kind of support system in place uh, to to make it all worthwhile and and give us that one last Hardy Boys uh, reunion run. And truthfully, even before the relapse, or even before this instance, instance I, I can say, or incident, you could tell that the Hardys were really a shell of their former selves. Like they were not really moving around the ring with that same kind of energy. And that could be, ex that, that's as expected. Both of those guys are in their 40s and they've beaten their bodies into powder over the years. So you can't really expect that. But I was happy to see them reunited, even, you know, even though the circumstances behind it, behind uh, Jeff Hardy leaving might have been a little murky. I was happy to see him and, and Matt get the work together again because uh, you grew up loving the Hardy Boys. Well, I didn't grow up, per se, loving the Hardy Boys. I was like a teenager um, in the mid and late 90s. Um, but they were a big part of my fandom at that time. And, but there are a lot of people who grew up watching the Hardys, like people who were in their elementary school years and, like, their first memories were the Hardys. And... That had to be huge for those guys when they heard the, the classic theme song and saw those guys dressing in their throwback attire, even though it <laughs> might, be, might be time to, to put away that classic attire uh, even before this, as I mentioned. Uh, but for, for this nostalgia kick, I was down for it. I was like, hey, let them get like a three to six month run as the Hardys and then let those guys retire or do other stuff. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't expect it to turn into this because... It was just, just hopeful and optimistic about Jeff Hardy not falling back in, into the same trap again. And it was, it was just sad to see. And I know that all of the focus is going to be on Jeff Hardy and his family. Um, just like when, and I don't like to do what about, because I'm not going to do what about. I'm not going to bring him up in this sense to do a what about. But like with Jimmy Uso and his issues with 
DUIs and alcoholism. I know a lot of the time we, we focus on the entertainer, the celebrity. But I also want to say, like, in these types of situations, it's very important to just be thankful that no one was killed. And I'm not even talking about the entertainer. I'm talking about no innocent pedestrian or other driver on the road or some, you know, bystander. It's, it's incredibly dangerous to be driving intoxicated, driving under the influence of any kind of substance. Many people who who drive drunk survive the accident, but they kill a family or kill a child that's in the backseat of, of his parents' car. And those are the kinds of things that we do need to think about and treat these situations with a level of seriousness. And, and just whenever no one comes out hurt, we gotta be extra grateful for that. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that I don't know anyone personally that's been killed or had their, their lives altered by an accident uh, resulting from a drunk driver. Uh, but there are people out there, there are organizations, of course, that represent the family members of those who are affected by those types of situations. Uh, but I, I'm just I'm thinking about that as well. So. I guess the, the best way to close out this particular episode and this segment is to just uh, wish Jeff Hardy the best. Um, I was going to talk about the whole TikTok thing with Rebby Hardy, but I, I think I'll leave that alone. Um, but again, I, I feel like I, I got to wish Jeff Hardy the best. Wishing him, I don't know, like the, the, the power to avoid the, the, influ- the temptation to drink or I don't know because it's, it's been a been a long long time and he still hasn't been able to get it right it's a lifelong affliction just, just don't want anything we don't want his story to end in tragedy the, the way that many other stories have so with that bring you to the close of another edition of BK Talks Thank you for listening.